invite you to take your Bibles and go back with me to Matthew chapter 5 this evening. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. We have a simple thought from a few verses in front of us tonight. And as always, would encourage you to pay close attention. You catch little mistakes about 40% in divorce and marriage. Or uh, realize that I said that Moses was on the west side of the Jordan River when Moses was on the east side of the Jordan River. And I uh, need you to hold me accountable. Get those details straight. And uh, so I encourage you to pay close attention. Do the best we can. And sometimes error creeps in. Why it's good to have our Bibles open. It's good to be looking and seeing what the Word says. Um, we come back to Matthew chapter 5. We've been in a section where Jesus is working through different sections of the law, uh, reminding us that He didn't come to undermine, to destroy the law, but rather to fulfill the law, and goes through some of the laws and heightens. Uh, the understanding of what the law intends to accomplish, to say, here's a higher standard that you need to meet in order to be declared righteous, in order to meet God's standard, if you will, and enter the kingdom of heaven one day. And uh, we've noted a number of times along the way now that when we look at those laws, they give us two things, a priority to strive for, while also pointing to the necessity of a Savior. I was thinking that while we were singing, we sang... Uh, his robes for mine, maybe it jumped out to you, maybe not, but in that second verse, his robes for mine, what cause have I to dread? God's daunting law, Christ mastered in my stead. Faultless I stand with righteous works, not mine, saved by my Lord's vicarious death and life. To realize we need to strive for the standard represented here, but we rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law perfectly so that when we put our faith in him, his righteousness is credited to our account. His righteousness is graciously given to us through his, through his work alone. As we come to the text this evening, we look at the idea of keeping our word. And I was thinking back through, mostly for me, the childhood kind of things that go on. Um, certainly, I think there are adult versions as well. But uh, when you're growing up and there's a commitment and you're trying to persuade the legitimacy of the commitment and trying to get people to agree. There's things that get said, like, we're going to spit shake on this. And I think I probably, like, I should have looked up, where did that come from? That seems like a really bad idea. Um, but we're going to spit shake on this. We're going to pinky swear. Um, or, no, I said that, but my fingers were crossed. Uh, because somehow now that allows me to go back on what I said that I was going to do. And it wasn't really true because you didn't see it or my legs were crossed or, you know, all these ways that people work around uh, keeping things. You know, they say, I'm going to cross my heart. I'm like, where did that come from? Um, to go, I'm going to just try to somehow persuade you that this is absolutely true. And I want you to understand that I really mean what I'm saying. And certainly we recognize there are times where we just really want to get the message across and we're working to persuade people that I mean this, that I'm being honest as I say this. Um, and then there are other times where there is malicious intent involved. And it's like, I'm trying to lead someone down a road, get them to believe, but really, it's not true. And Jesus addresses that issue for the religious leaders here within the text, where there might be inclination to add qualifiers to a vow in order to add credibility, while also giving them ways to avoid commitment. 
as we've tracked through with you, I've said this this morning, but I just want to remind you of the flow of these laws that Jesus has worked through, where he started with this idea of proud animosity, hatred towards a brother. Then he went to sexual purity with adultery and lust. This morning, as we saw, he went to marital fidelity with the issue of divorce and potentially remarriage. And then tonight, we come to this text focused on personal integrity personal integrity. We didn't read the text this morning, so I want to go back and read it for us tonight. I'm going to read starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, and read down through verse 37. Jesus says, again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So we get into this section of verses with Divided most everyone the same way, so we'll start in verse 33 by looking at the law's instruction. Jesus uses a very similar formula, albeit slightly different here, where he says, ye again, ye've heard that it hath been said by them of old time. It reminds us that in giving the law, we didn't touch this this morning, but when Jesus gives these words, they were familiar to those present. They were historical and that this has been going on for a long time. And as a result, they were authoritative to them coming from the law that God himself had given through Moses looking back to the Old Testament. So they've happened generationally. They've happened uh, biblically, we might say, coming from God and bear authority in their lives. What's interesting when we get to this particular law is that this is not a direct quotation like some of the others. There's one text that it's very similar to. But it seems that Jesus, even in changing the formula, is making an allusion to multiple ideas about vows within the Old Testament. As we look at the actual words of it, he says, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but, thou sh- but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. That word forswear means to swear something is true, when actually it's not. Uh, some translations would say to swear falsely, or to swear that something will happen. It will occur, but really there's not an intent to follow through on and to keep that commitment. He's saying, before God, you ought to follow through on the commitments that you make. As you think back with me to the Old Testament law, kind of jog your memory here for a little bit, were all vows forbidden? We have to say no. I mean, we know, we talk about at times a Nazarite vow and the seriousness with which someone is going to place themselves under this vow, under this commitment, and the restrictions that are going to go along with it. Um, We can look in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. In fact, we touched one of these texts on this past Wednesday night in the book of Isaiah, where God swears in the Old Testament. And because he can't swear by anyone greater, Hebrews will tell us, he swears by himself. To go, I am telling you, based on me, that this is true. Because there's no higher authority. You know, we even look culturally today, and people will go into different settings, and in order to uh, add sobriety, like in a courtroom, they might say, I'm going to swear on a Bible, or at least I'm going to raise my right hand, or I'm trying to add a sense of dignity to what's going on. 
you know, on a very simple level, even today we go, I'm going to sign my signature to this contract, to this agreement, to say, I'm committing to follow through. And we recognize, even in the Old Testament law, that there were times where vows and contractual obligations and commitments were made. And yet, as Jesus, as we'll see in a moment, is going to unpack his teaching here, he's encouraging, and not encouraging, he's requiring us to enter those with great caution so that our words are kept. Old Testament echoes the same. In fact, I want to walk you through some of the Old Testament texts. The closest to what we're reading here from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, found within the Torah or the law. God says there in Leviticus 19, 12, Ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of the Lord thy God. I am the Lord. He's saying, when it comes to me, you'd better not swear by my name and not keep your word. You'd better follow through on the commitment that you've made. In Numbers 30, verse 2, the text says it this way. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. Whereas the previous verse referenced not swearing falsely in God's name, this verse tells us in Numbers 32, 30 verse 2, if you make a commitment, you'd better follow through on that commitment. Deuteronomy 23 verse 21 says it this way, when thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. So if you've made a commitment to God, incredibly serious before him, and so we need to make sure, again, we follow through. That reminds me of our study in Ecclesiastes, where even as we were working through Ecclesiastes, Solomon argues very similarly to that Deuteronomy text. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It says it this way, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. It's very sobering context in Deuteronomy 30 and Ecclesiastes 5 to say when it comes to God, be very cautious of the commitments that you make because God expects you to follow through on those commitments. He holds you accountable for those things as we work through the law. But as we look at the other texts, along with Jesus' teaching here, we understand that really any time we make a commitment, we ought to strive to follow through. Whether before God saying, God, I'm promising this to you, or even just a commitment to someone else, we're to be a people of our word. I feel like there's two propensities as we look at ourselves, we look at culture around us. There are those who are very quick to jump in to say, here's what I'm going to do, and then it's kind of irrelevant whether or not it really happens. And this text challenges those, that mentality. But I also fear that we live in a world today that's like, I would rather make no commitments and then it doesn't matter if I don't follow through, because I never made one. 
I think we err on the other side of the ditch in that mindset as well. Fully recognizing at the same time what I just read in Ecclesiastes 5 said, when it comes to God and making a commitment before him, it's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Through these texts, we realize God takes our words seriously. Whether we refer to them as vows or oaths or promises, or even as the way I think Jesus does in Matthew 5, simply as what your word is. Once again, the Pharisees, as we'll see, twisted the teaching of the law to clarify, here's when someone has to keep their word, and here's when someone doesn't have to keep their word. We can play a little game, and it, it again, calls to mind what we might expect children to do, hopefully not adults, to go, my fingers were crossed. And the Pharisees are going, well, you know, according to the law, you can kind of get out of it if you put these qualifiers in place. We were looking to maybe the adult version. It's when we start to communicate and assert that something's true and what we're saying is true, but we're hiding pieces to lead someone down to a conclusion that is wrong because we haven't just been direct and honest and forthright with them as well. Having looked at the law's instruction, let's look at Jesus' clarification or his explanation in verses 34 to 37. In looking at Jesus' explanation, you'll notice with me that first he points negatively to what should not be done before pointing positively to what should be done. And so we begin in verses 34 to 36 by looking at Jesus' explanation negatively through an indicting prohibition. He's going to say, this is off limits. You can't do this. And as he gives that prohibition, I believe he is indicting the religious leaders yet again. To go, their standard of righteousness falls far short. It is wrong. And so he says here in verse 34, but I say unto you, Jesus speaks with authority once again. He's done this every time. Here's what you've heard. Here's what the law says. But I am telling you, Jesus says, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. Simplistically, we could look at Jesus' statement here and see very clearly him say, don't swear. But then he adds all of these categories and qualifiers that seem unique and Maybe a little bit hard for us to wrap our minds around. And as we've already seen and recognized, there are vows made in Scripture. So why does Jesus do this? Why does he go through these examples? You know, are they categories to memorize to go, hey, make sure you don't do that. Um, don't ever swear by the temple. Don't ever swear by the color of your head or the hair on your head. Um, I don't believe that's what Jesus is doing. In fact, again, I believe he's indicting the practice of the Jews as allowed for by the Pharisees. They would come along and say, here's how vows could be uh, broken, and here's when vows would have to be kept. So as you read through their historical documents, they're uh, recognizing their culture, they would say, look, if you are swearing toward the temple, you need to keep your promise. You need to keep your word. But if you say, I'm not swearing toward the temple, I'm, I'm just gonna tell people I'm swearing by the temple, then it's okay. And why? Because within their system, within their way of working around the law, they've granted that allowance. We could say that historically, but I think we gain even greater insight just looking at it biblically. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus indicts the Pharisees. I think you're 
familiar well with uh, Matthew 23, where it's woe, 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 all through Matthew 23. But Jesus says it this way in verse 16. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. And you already begin to glimpse or understand Jesus pointing out the problem of the Pharisees to go, well, hey, you excuse it if we swear by the temple. But you know, the gold of the temple, that's a different ballgame. That's a big deal. Now you have to keep your word. As he continues in verse 17, you fools and blind, for whether it is greater, the gold, or the temple that sanctifieth the gold, and whosoever shall swear by the altar is nothing, but whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether it is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift, whosoever therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all the things thereon, and whosoever shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein, and he that shall swear by heaven sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon. Like it doesn't matter any object that you point to before God, you are still responsible to keep your word. But again, we get the idea in Matthew 23 of how the Pharisees work around keeping their word. Again, even in our day to day, we're like, oh, I'm hesitant to commit, I'm hesitant to know. So maybe we'll see. I'll try. Instead of going, well, you know what, I will, and I'll follow through. In each of the examples within Matthew chapter 5, Jesus points to God's control and ownership in areas that don't belong to man or fall beyond man's ability to control. So he says, heaven belongs to God, it's his throne. The earth belongs to God, it's the resting place for his feet. Jerusalem falls within his authority as the great king, and you can swear by your head, but you don't really have the control to truly change the color of your hair and make it come black or white. He's pointing to God's authority, God's control in those things. As Jesus points out the problems of the practice of the Pharisees in redefining, and excuse, redefining the law and excusing their behavior. So we say in Jesus' explanation or Jesus' clarification, he begins by negatively giving this prohibition. Secondly, when we get to verse 37, his explanation occurs positively through an imperative, through a command, an affirmation of what you should do. He says, let your communication be yea, yea, and nay, nay. For whatsoever is more of these cometh of evil. Simply put, Jesus says, when you say yes, I mean yes, when you say no, I mean no. It's been a funny thought to me, and again, I told you at the outset of the message, it's going to be very simple. We can summarize all that we're talking about tonight of keep your word. Keep your word. Now, I realize, again, we are confronted with our limitations. Where we go, I had the best intentions of following through on what I said, and because I'm weak, because my memory's weak, because my schedule's full, because of my fallibility, because I double committed myself, I didn't follow through on my word. But we shouldn't miss Jesus' point or be quick to excuse ourselves. In any number of areas, we should strive as believers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, to keep our word. 
You notice there he says, for whatsoever is more than these is of evil. When we start to go, well, I'm going to really persuade, I'm going to add these qualifiers to help convince you that I'm honest. It's like you're headed down a dangerous path, an evil path. Similar to Jesus' words, James says it this way in James chapter 5, verse 12. Again, recognizing inspiration by the Spirit of God. But above all these things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. People will talk about generations gone by where it's like, I don't even need to shake hands. I told you I'd be there. We're good. I told you I'd follow through. And now we're like, well, shaking hands isn't good enough. Let's hand you a document. Let's sign an additional piece of paper. We have a wonderful opportunity as believers to stand out as people of integrity, people who do follow through and keep their word. If we were to summarize it maybe with a couple of statements, we could say, strive to be credible, believable all the time. Or maybe with that we could say, strive to be reliable, trustworthy, able to be counted on. Because we strive to be faithful. And admittedly, there's a side of me that knowing this world that likes to shy away from commitments is strive then to be available to go, I will follow through. I will keep my commitment. wonder how you do with your commitments. For me, one application that comes to mind is be a person of your word and your schedule. You said, you know what, I I told you I'd be there at 8. And I realize traffic happens, life happens, but if you routinely are the person who's like 8.05, are you trustworthy? Are you reliable? I guess maybe five minutes late, sure. But be a person of your word when it comes to your schedule. Be a person of your word when it comes to finances. Pay your debts, pay your obligations, follow through. Be a person of your word when it comes to your relationships where you can be counted on. Certainly that applies even in marriage. I was thinking about in light of the the text we're in this morning, when we're talking about marriage and its importance and faithfulness and the text we're in this evening, and I'm thinking, like, we should give everybody a quiz that's married here, right? Um, So write down, what did you say in your vows? Are you keeping your word? Or, you know, today we live in a world, and I'm not saying this is all bad, just got to throw that out there, where people are like, no, I'm going to write my own vow. And it doesn't matter what has historically been done. If you choose to do that, that's okay, it's fine. But it's like, I can treat this really flippantly and casually and make this more about the friendship in the current moment than a commitment over a lifetime. To say, I'm going to be a person who keeps my word. Jesus goes after the Pharisees saying, you've created a culture where we swear by different things. He's like, don't swear by all those things. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. For us as believers, it's a reminder to live as people of integrity. Let's pray. Fathers, we think about the simple thought in front of us this evening. I pray that you would alert us to areas where we don't follow through, where our integrity could be called into question. Lord, I pray that we would be people who are first and foremost faithful to you by your grace but then striving to live in faithful integrity with the world around us. Lord, I thank you for the corrective words of Jesus. I pray that our yes would be yes and our no, no. It's in Jesus' name we pray.